If you have your Bible or a Bible app, open it or click it or do whatever you can to find Revelation chapter 12. If you're looking for the book of Revelation, it's the book in your Bible just before the book of Concordance. (laughs) All right, Revelation chapter 12. If you know the book of Revelation at all or just flip through it, you'll see that Revelation, uh, we, are, we are halfway, more than now, halfway through the text in terms of chapter divisions. We are also kind of uh, at a halfway point in, the, in, in John's agenda, in his presentation of this letter. This letter, the book of Revelation, just real quick for review for anybody who is either popping in late or you've missed a few, the book of Revelation is a, is a prophetic, apocalyptic letter that is written by John, John the Beloved, John who wrote the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John, John who is close to Jesus, the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, John, the Apostle John, who it, this is a letter that he writes while he is in exile on the Isle of Patmos during a time of intense persecution, and John is the bishop, he is the the presiding elder over the churches in Eastern Asia, seven of which are, are the specific and literal um, uh, inten- the recipients of this, this book. That's the, the first three chapters of Revelation are written to the seven churches in Eastern Asia, and they kind of form a circle there. And uh, those are literal churches. There are literal messages so we can study their timeline, but also because the use of seven is symbolic to mean perfection. And uh, it also speaks to us that we should understand that what was said to those churches are messages that should be heard by, the, by every church of every age. What we saw there is that the churches were facing conflict and challenge in, during this season. Those, the churches in Revelation were facing conflict and challenge from within. There was temptation. There was temptation uh, toward to live immoral or idolatrous lives because of the because of people or because of teaching. In other words, the people of the church of, of the church of one hundred A.D. faced temptation. Can you believe it? Yeah, they, they experienced temptation, and the book of Revelation was written to encourage them to overcome that. I know you think, wow, I, you can't even imagine that. It's so hard to connect. They also faced persecution far more intensely than, than perhaps we do and, or, or have in North America, but very similar to what the church faces around the world, which is why these letters are written and read by, by every church of every age. So that the first... Uh, three chapters, we hear the co- about conflict the church faces as a church, both within and without. Persecution, temptation, how to overcome it. Jesus keeps saying, I know your works. I know what's going on. I see your life. To some churches, he calls them to return to their first love. To others, he calls them to repent. Others, he has some more, mm, some more strict correction to give them. All of them, he reminds them that he's coming and that his reward is with them and to live and to overcome and that that eternity is real and to anticipate his arrival, to live for, to live like Jesus is Lord and that he's coming again. Then from chapter 4 forward, we've seen from chapter 12, from chapter 4 all the way through the end of chapter 11, John has these series of visions that he sees uh, and there, there are two sevens, seven seals followed by seven trumpets. Some string those together linearly. 
we haven't interpreted it that way. It seems far more likely, and I'm trying, and I say that with humility. I would personally say absolutely likely, but uh, in humility, I would say it's far more likely that what you see is these sevens, and then it's called recapitulation. They are retelling the story in more in more intense, or more with more detail, or from or from different perspective. Uh, the same season of of tribulation, of of judgment that comes upon the earth for the purpose of bringing man to repentance. In this season that Revelation points to, it, 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 it ends with a final judgment. But before that, there is, a, there is judgment that comes that is not complete. Each of these judgments are measured. They are, the, they are limited, and their intent is to draw the heart of, of, of unrepentant, rebellious man on earth to turn away from his sin and turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Because... Eternity is real. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming, and we should live like it. Finally, uh, and, and at the end of each of those visions, we see, we see this, uh, this, this turbulent conclusion of all things, and then we keep seeing all these heavenly beings throwing themselves on their faces before the throne, saying, that's it, God won, God rules. Everything keeps ending up that way. We'll see that yet again. But now in chapter 12, John has a different vision. And he sees what we'll see is the same time period, but, in, but he sees it from a, pers- from a different perspective of major characters at play. The, the major forces at work in the world right now we're about to see. We won't see images of seals or trumpets or, or plagues We'll see specific characters and acting in specific ways. And the goal today should be to get a broad perspective of what's happening in our world and why. The point of chapter 12 is for us to believe or come to understand that God has acted to protect His people against Satan because of Christ's decisive victory over Satan through Christ's death and resurrection. The point of chapter 12 is there, listen, the truth of chapter 12 is there is a very real devil. But the point is God has acted so that you are protected. The purpose of that information is to encourage us as readers to persevere, to keep on, to continue, to press forward in our witness for Jesus Christ, regardless of what may come, by helping us understand what's behind what's coming at us. Chapter 12 makes it really clear what's behind what's coming at you. You ready? Blessed are those who hear and heed these words. Here we go. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We'll just take a couple of verses at a time. The title this morning of this morning's message, I, I try to give it a title because it helps frame the big idea. The title of this morning's message is Enter the Dragon, Satan's War. Now, to be honest, totally candid, as I was reading this and studying it, there are often times that my studies don't, this is not to sound pretentious or anything other than just honest. Oftentimes, as I'm studying, it gets to be 1.30 or 2 in the morning and, and, uh, or, or whatever. And, uh, 
at sometimes my mind goes, starts to go, you know. And so as it got late one night, I was at the, the, the table because Jordan's been with us for a week and he's, his, his, my office is his bedroom now, so my office is now the dining room table, which is a disaster. Sorry, Mrs. Davil fixed that. Uh, but I was reading and I was trying to come up with a title and I said, I got one. I said, how about how to train your dragon? <laughs> yeah, it works, but then I thought, well, it's not really about training the dragon, but it does send the right message. This dragon has been whooped on. What? No, stop, stop. This is not a friendly dragon. This is not... <laughs> It's just pet dragon. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Revelation chapter 12. <laughs> if I can introduce this next part, it, it's, it's kind of like what you're about to hear. And again, it's my kind of like, okay? It's, what you're about to hear is kind of like someone saying in this corner, this person, but in this corner, the other, the opponent, okay? So here we go, verses 1 and 2, and then 3 and 4. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, the moon under her feet, and, a, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. All right, time out. Who in the world is this? Again, I, I think I've told you that I start studying for this, these things right after church on Sunday. And the first thing that I do when I open the book of Revelation and start studying for the next week is start hitting the book, hitting myself in the face with the book, thinking, I don't know who this is. I don't know what's going on. My template really is I'm totally confused, and then I work forward from there. So I open this. Who's this? What's happening? Why, are there the, why is it the solar system? What's going on? Chapter 12, what we see is a woman this woman incorporates for us the people of God who are alive before and then immediately after, ongoingly. This is the people of God before and after Christ. This is the, this is the, the, the whole people of God. She's described as, uh, in terms of uh, the sun and the moon and the stars, that hails back to Revela- uh, Gen- Genesis chapter 37 and verse 9. You remember jo- uh, jo- uh, Joseph has this dream that perturbs his family, but it's a, very, it's a very prophetic and significant dream. Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, Israel, right? One of the 12 sons has this vision, and he announces to his family, hey, guys, I had this dream where I saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars, 12 boys, uh, and 11 stars bowing down to me. Now, you all know how you'd feel about your sibling if he said that. That's not the point of the story. The point here is that, John, that that image becomes part of the religious psyche of John's audience. So this woman who is clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and the stars around her head, she represents the people of God. The people of God, not just the people of the Old Testament, but the covenant people of God. Say that out loud with me, please. The covenant people of God. All right, so this is who she is. In verse 2 then, and she was with child, and she cried out, 
being in labor and in pain to give birth. I am not qualified to explain that pain. <laughs> there are people in this room who would, would get upset with me if I tried, okay? But I can tell you, I can tell you that theologically, a woman's birth pangs throughout Scripture represent anticipation, longing. And in this particular context, it represents the longing of the people of God for Messiah. It is expectation. This woman is expecting. Somebody say expecting. She is, she is an agonizing expectation of Messiah's birth. This is deep longing. And, 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 and this is deep longing that is on the verge of breakthrough. And we see that in the Old Testament. When, when there's longing for breakthrough, it's described like birth pangs. Like this is, it's really hard and it's really painful, but the point is you're feeling all of that because you're at the verge of breakthrough. And the New Testament says that even right now, creation is still groaning, not for Messiah's first coming, but because Jesus is coming back. And furthermore, every single person in here who's a part of the family of God, you too, you have hopes, you have promises you're clinging to, prayers you're praying for, things that the Lord has put in your heart that you're holding on to. And at times you might feel like there's pressure, like I'm, I, could just, I just want to give up. You can't now. You're on the, you're on the birthing table. You need, to, you need to give way to those birth pangs because breakthrough is coming. And there's breakthrough happening in this house. We've seen, we've seen series of breakthroughs and things happen. But you need to listen because there's prophetic voices in the house that say what's happened so far in this house is not comparable to what is still to come. There's breakthrough happening. And there's not a resistance. It's not like well, we need to overcome a resistance. No, it's birth pangs. Something is coming that is even more than what has been. Here we go. Then it continues. Are you ready? Verses 3 and 4. And in the other corner. Verse 3. Then another sign appeared. In heaven. Everybody just smile and say, in heaven. Okay. So he's looking up. He's not looking below. It's not some weird movie where he digs underneath and finds the devil. He looks up in the spiritual realm and behold, a great... Red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. Is anybody like me and think, where did, how do they arrange the horns? I figure it must be three and three and then four on the other. I don't. <laughs> and if you wonder that, then you should. And because the point is not to over, not to over literalize the text. That's the problem. Well, I wonder how the horns are separated along. That's the stuff of paperbacks and nonsense. The point is symbolism. Seven heads represent something. Ten hordes represent something. Ten horns tell us of power, of dominance, of, of aggressive, dominant power. Seven heads tell us not, not, not that he's perfectly wise and wonderful, but that he's hard to kill. The seven heads here, I'm jumping way ahead, but I don't care. The seven heads here, John doesn't make a, use, make a lot of use of Greek mythology because he's not a Greek boy so much as a Bible boy. But his audience understood that a beast with seven heads was hard to kill, according to Greek mythology. 
You cut one off, other drew in a place. It was, elu- it was elusive, erratic, multi-faced. The beast that he sees, this dragon, is hard to kill. It's multi-faced, and it, and it has great power. Furthermore, it has diadems on its head, crowns. Not laurel crowns like the believers have of victory, but a diadem. A diadem is, is a kingdom, a, 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 a political crown. Meaning that this beast, this dragon, is hard to kill, diabolical, powerful, and represents or has authority of political power on the earth. Now, if that, sounds, that, if that doesn't sound familiar, go quickly to the wilderness with Jesus when Satan engages him. And what Satan says to Jesus is, I'll give you the kingdoms because they're mine. He has this earthly power. When Jesus talks to his disciples at one point, he says, I'm leaving. The prince of this world is coming, of this world. There is a dominion that that beast, that dragon has on this world for a while. Stay tuned. Okay, here we go. Now, just to be clear who we are talking about here, we t- jump, I don't often jump ahead for interpretation, but here the quickest way is, who's, you might say, hey, wait a minute, who's this dragon? The dragon, John tells us in verse 9, is this. The dragon is, quote, the serpent of old. In other words, all the way back to the book of Genesis. Same guy. Everybody say same guy. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan. The adversary, Diablo, the one, who comes, the, one who, uh, the one who comes in between, and Satan, the accuser, who deceives the whole world. His main power, his main influence is deception. The dragon is Satan, the deceiver. Verse 12. That means, it, that means, as Jesus said, he said, you're, you're, you're a child of the devil, because when he, when he lies, he speaks his native language. If the devil's talking, he's lying. There's, in a minute, we'll find out what else he's doing. Chapter 12, though, it's important because from here forward, chapter 12 reveals to the reader, again, many of you might be saying, hey, I already knew that. But you need to understand that there's, there's good theology here, maybe not warm-hearted theology, but solid theology here that tells us something that it is the devil himself who is the source of the evil the church has encountered up to this point and that she will continue to encounter. There's someone behind this. He is the grand initiator of these pers- of the persecutions of the saints. And what we have seen already and what we'll continue to see, gosh, this, this is more than just fascinating, but it's fascinating to me, so I'm, I get a little worked up, okay? That... Imitations or expressions of this dragon have already shown up. In chapter 9, verse 11, out of the abyss came this ruler of a demonic horde called Apollon or the destroyer. At that point, we don't know much about him, but we just know that there was a, there was a leader of a demonic horde whose mission was destruction. He showed up in 9. In chapter 11, we see this other expression of this beast who comes and makes war against the church. The point is that every Every uh, image, every expression, everything that will be referred to as a beast of one kind or another, they are all, they all reflect the image of this dragon. They all share characteristics of him. 
what we should understand here, this is solid theology, is that, that evil on earth is made or replicated. It is in the image of the devil. It is the image. It is his image. It is his imprint. It is his influence. It's real. Now, that shouldn't frighten you. It should help you understand something. It should help you not feel so crazy. Like why, when you're facing circumstances in life, when you feel like there is like darkness or pressure that is anti-Christ, that seems to be coming at you, and it's coming from weird places, what does this person have against me? What it, the early church, what does Rome have against us? Who are we? It, it would help the original readers understand why this great, big, powerful, rich a government was so literally hell-bent on destroying this small group of a, of a religious sect. Why such vitriol? Why such anger? Because there's someone behind it. It helps us understand. It actually should help us put up our dukes. Honestly, chapter 12 should help you put up your dukes. Instead of saying, well, gosh, I guess that's just the way it is. Adopt some, adopt some sort, of, sort of Greek stoic mindset that just kind of accepts fates, you know, que sera, sera. I guess bad stuff's just going to happen because that's just the world we live in. That's just, you know, the hand that we were dealt. No, there is a hand dealing that. And that hand needs to be resisted. Put up your dukes. We should understand that the evil that we see on earth is made in the image of Satan. Put up your dukes. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, put up your dukes. See, the book of Revelation does not participate in modernity's effort. You're still saying it. The book of Revelation does not participate in the modern idea that we should dismiss evil as an actual person or an actual force. The book of Revelation rejects modernity's effort to sanitize evil as the perspective and the behavior of the unenlightened. It's not just that people are unenlightened or don't know better. It's that it's not even, and it's not necessarily even that people are evil. The fact is there is an evil one who is at work. This also helps us to understand that people are not our enemy. Even if it's a Roman soldier holding a whip, forcing me to say that, that Caesar is Lord, and I say no, and he kills me. That even, that's why Jesus is able to say to the very thugs that are crucifying his flesh to the wood, Father, forgive them. He knows what's going on. They'll be held accountable. Free will makes, I mean, that's fine. But there is something else at work. Put up your dukes but don't have a chip on your shoulder with people, okay? Put up your dukes, but don't go punch your neighbor. <laughs> In other words, this, that's why I say revelation is so important. It defines the ring for us. Have we got any fighters in the room? I don't know, but this defines the ring. Who's in the ring here? Not you and me. I'm not, I'm not going to bust chops with you. This is not about us. There's something much larger going on. So at, at this, this should at the same time make us, make us courageous and strong and wise and even more kind to people. 
evil is real. It is not determined, nor can it be dismissed by popular sentiment. You don't get to decide. Evil has an influence, an instigator, and an aggressor. Pretending he does not exist only works in his favor. Now, as we said before, because of these heads and these, th- and these horns and these crowns, the devil himself is the representative head of evil kingdoms, the kingdoms that have worked against, specifically against Christ or against his church. We'll talk about more about that in a minute. But verse 4 says, And his tail swept away a third of the stars of, of heaven and threw them to the earth. Let me stop right there. A lot of folks will just immediately go, oh, yeah, that's, that is about uh, Satan taking, getting, that's about Satan getting kicked out of heaven and taking angels with him. The problem is that hasn't happened yet in the text. Okay? What's happened in the text is, only, is just him being there. And the tail, if you could just deal with this, the tail has to do with his wake, like a boat. Okay? The tail has to do with what is left in the wake of this dragon is destruction. You feel that? So in the, in the wake, in his wake, in his, his influence is destruction. And you say, well, what about what were the stars of heaven? Were those angels? Maybe. Maybe. Because we, we, we read later that they, they get ta- there's angels that get tossed out with him. We haven't got there yet. Shh. Okay. But the Old Testament, there's, there's, but there's a lot of, of, of Old Testament writing that also re- that believe that great, that great leaders or great people were called stars. So stars could have been, we don't know whether John means angels specifically or he's talking about, about people or important people. But that's not even the point to figure out what the stars are. The point is to understand the effect the dragon has. And his effect is destruction. Where that tail behind him leaves a destructive path. That's the point so far. All right. And the dragon, this is the other point, the rest of verse 4 here, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Who does the dragon hate? I just read it. Who does the dragon hate? The child. Say the child. Now, just for fun, He's always hated kids. This is the same dragon that doesn't have that, that still poises to destroy life before it's released. If you're wondering what power is behind the destruction of the unborn, read no further. Don't get mad at people. We can deal with that. That's for counseling and legislation and, and problem solving. Understand, there is a power behind this. Not a mystery. It's right here. He might devour a child. The tail, so here he has this destructive influence. He hates this child. And many see this. By the way, this the dragon seeks to destroy the child. You've got to catch that because it helps us understand that this dragon's hatred, his vitriol, is directed at the Son of God. Evil is in this way Christocentric. Evil hates Christ. Evil is Antichrist. If you're wondering, where's the Antichrist? What's the Antichrist? Evil is Antichrist. It hates Christ. It is anti-Christ. Okay? Many see this, even even verse 12 or or chapter 12, many see this this enacted. Even as Christ himself was born, Herod 
under the influence of this dragon, orders the atrocity of the slaughter of infants under uh, two years old and under all across the region. The dragon hates this child, wants to kill it. But, verse 5 and 6, and she gave birth, who's she? The church, the people of God. And she, and, and she gives birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. This is Christ. If you want to look at how this is, there's an echo here of Psalm chapter 2, which was really important in the Second Temple Judaism period of time of a messianic expectation. But the term to rule here means to shepherd. She gave birth to a child who was to shepherd the nations. Woohoo! Yeah, with, with, a, with a rod of iron, not a flimsy wooden one, but a rod of iron, one that was unbreakable, one that was eternal. We're talking about the sovereign shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, and the message here, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't stop and tell the story of, you know, shepherds and, you know, angels and Christmas, all that. He jumps, he jumps right to Christ's ascension because the purpose of this is to tell us that Christ is sovereign. He is born to rule, and then he is raised to the throne. Hallelujah. Then verse 6, then the woman fled, <laughs> then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished. You need to hear that word? Say it. Where did she, well, first of all, where did she go? She fled into the wilderness, then where she was nourished for 1,260 days and not a day more. No, 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 no. We've already heard this. I got to stay in my notes. I'll get too wrapped up and excited. But this woman continues to represent the people of God who are now the church. Okay? This is not, in case you're wondering, don't get all upset. You say, hey, Dad, are you preaching that replacement theology? No. I'm talking about fulfillment. I'm talking about God has always had a people. Always. And the people haven't changed. They haven't changed. They've just grown. Christ just wove us all together. Okay? So if I, once again, this is, once again, if I am, if I'm Brian Barjimbo, thanks, Dad. Okay? But if. <laughs> Brian, son of Jim. If I'm Brian, son of Jim, the Jew guy, right? And I am, a, and I, I, I'm, I'm a follower of the Torah, and I'm loving me the Bible. And then I find Yeshua Hamashiach, and I surrender my life to Jesus, the Messiah, and I've become a follower of Him. Guess what? I didn't just turn in my "I'm a Jew" card and say that's it. I'm no longer a Jew. No, I actually believe I'm what a Jew is supposed to be. But the other guys kicked me out. That wasn't part of the intention. The intention, we're all supposed to come into Christ. So when, he, when, so when Revelation talks about Israel, he's talking about this great, big, plan people of God. And this is the woman. Now she goes into the wilderness because she's fleeing the dragon. What? She flees the dragon into the wilderness? Just like the Old Testament people of Israel who fled Pharaoh, they went into the wilderness. And guess what? The Old Testament also calls Pharaoh a great serpent. John's trying to tell us something. He's telling us that, that between, between deliverance and destiny, there's the wilderness. Between deliverance, out of Egypt, out of oppression, out of sin, and destiny, 
Beulah land, the promised land, glory, heaven, between here and there is the wilderness. But the wilderness is a place of nourishment. It's a place of protection. Israel, they go through the wilderness, they're, they're, and they're, on, they're, they're fought on all sides. Enemies come at them on all sides. What happens? They whoop them all. Not even their shoes wear out. Forty years, a whole nation wanders through the desert. Not even their shoes give out. Why? Because there's a place. Don't think of the wilderness as punishment. It's a place prepared for them. But they're nourished for a specific season. And in that season, they are nourished. They are protected. They are cared for. They engage. There are struggles. And they overcome. For a specific season. <laughs> All right. But now, we, now John kind of, it's kind of like scene number two. Same story, new scene. Verse seven. And there was war in heaven. So we, we've left the woman in the, in the wilderness. The woman, the church, the people of God, where are they? They're between, they're between deliverance and destiny. They're in the wilderness. Are they nourished? Yes. Are they cared for? Yes. How long? 1,260 days. Okay? okay. 42 months, three and a half years, a time, times a time, times a half a time. Same period of time, same words. There they are, wilderness. Okay, back back to heaven. Now there's a war. Bam, ba bam ba bam ba bam Now there's a war in heaven. Okay? And Michael and his angels are waging war with the dragon. Pow! God! Why? What's going on? Because the dragon and his angels, they waged war. And this guy, and that guy. But listen, this vision tells us something. You are part of a conflict that is bigger than the fuss you are having in your kitchen. You are a part of something that is bigger than the irritants you are facing in traffic. I need to usher for this pretty lady in the front. <laughs> You're a part. I know. See, believers, God bless us all, get caught up in the smallness of our world. You're, it's not as small as you think. Your, your, your problems are that you're facing this, you're contending. I'm trying to tell you, put up your dukes. Understand what you're really against. Understand what's really going on is there is a war in the heavenlies. This should encourage you to put up your dukes, to do something, not to cower, nor to settle. Well, I guess it's my lot in life just to chase my tail, to live like Eeyore. Woe is me. I guess this is the way it's going to be. No, you're, you're, stand up, fight, get up. Our struggles are not to be shrugged off as some sort of insignificant, this is just, it's just, it's coincidental. No, it's not. You're a part of a great conflict between good and evil. Verse 8, and they, the dragon and his angels, here's the good news. You ready for it? They were not strong enough. Didn't say they were weaklings. They just weren't strong enough. <laughs> they lost. Say lost. They, lost. they weren't strong enough, and listen, there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon, great dragon, was thrown down. <laughs> go ahead and, you know what, just go ahead and drink that for a minute. Listen, and the great dragon, raw. 
right? The great red dragon. I smell you, thief, right? I, the great dragon thrown down. Thrown down, the serpent of old, who's devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down. I, I thought you had the happy part. He was thrown down to earth. Where his, and his angels were thrown down with him. Meaning, friends, you just have to deal with this. This is kind of mysterious, but let's just, let's just go, okay, this is theology. This is more clear than what we are, our paperbacks might tell us. But here we see that prior to this event, in a somewhat mysterious presentation, we see that in the heavenlies, Satan at one time and his lesser beings had some sort of access, some sort of place in the heavenlies. However, he has been cast out of heaven. Satan has no more place in the heavenlies because of Christ's vicarious death and because of Christ's victorious resurrection and because of Christ's glorious ascension. And here's how heaven responded. The devil, the dragon, is thrown out because of Christ's victory. And here's what happens in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, I won't be loud. Now the salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. See, 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 Satan said to him, I'll give you my authority if you worship me. Jesus said, hang on a little bit. I'm going to take it from you. Yeah. Listen, it says it right there. And the authority of his Christ has come. Who's in charge? Jesus said to his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of the planet. You got to understand what's going on here. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. What? Apparently, the role of the dragon was to accuse. What's a dragon sound like? Not raw. Not rar. No. Points. The, uh, the voice of the dragon is the voice of the accuser, of accusation. We, we, and this was his role prior to the Christ event. This was his role. Because we, even in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 1, the prophet has a vision. He says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. This was, this was Satan's role in heaven. There was a voice, there was a voice in the heavenlies that was constantly accusing the people of God. Pointing out, not just pointing out what they did wrong, but to accuse, this is really important. There's a difference between, between correction and accusation. Right? Correction is, stop playing with your shoes in church. Okay, <laughs> right? You goofball, right? No, don't, the goofball's not the part, but so put, just keep your shoes on, all right? The cor- correction is, thanks, Max, for helping me out with that, okay? Correction is, here's the covenant, here's you, here's where you need to change. Correction is, this is not right, this needs to be changed in your life. That's correction, that's not accusation, that's not condemnation. If you think correction is condemnation, you're going to have a problem with a lot of the words in red. A lot of those were suggestions to modify behavior. But, but accusation is not just here's what needs to change. Accusation has an agenda. Accusation seeks to malign. It seeks to hurt. 
It seeks to impugn. It seeks to destroy. It seeks to kill. Correction brings us close. Accusation seeks to kill. But that voice, this is what you've got to hear. This, and I, wa I won't ask you to raise your hand, but and I know I'm over time, so just pretend it's not and just keep listening. How many would say that you are, you, you, you don't want to raise your, your hand, you have heard, you know that voice of accusation. You've heard it. You've, you've, it's been an internal voice, an external voice, comes out of nowhere sometime. That voice that impugns, that condemns, that, that feels like a, a voice of death, that is the breath of the dragon. That is not coming from heaven because it's been cast out of heaven. Heaven will never speak to accuse. To correct, yes, but heaven will never speak to you. The voice of the Holy Spirit will never sound like accusation. This is why you and I must never partner with that voice. This is why you must, if you hear it, don't agree with it. And most certainly, never partner with it. Never partner with it about yourself. Never partner with that voice about others. Gossip and slander is partnership with the breath of the dragon. It seeks to kill. And I'll say this even further. Friends, if you, if you live to partner with that voice, you will welcome his influence in your own life. You will find, if you give yourself to gossip or slander, and you, and you think, what in the world? Why is all this nonsense going on? Because of who you have invited into your life. Your life partner is the dragon. But here's the good news. Let's continue. Verse 11 says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life more than death. Not only does Satan suffer defeat at the hands of the archangel Michael, he is overcome by faithful believers as well. The primary cause of our victory is the blood of the Lamb. It is the blood of the Lamb that Revelation 1.5 says has he, because He loves us, He has released us from our sins by His blood. If I've been released of my sin, then there's nothing left to accuse me of. Ha, ha, ha. That's why I've overcome. And I stick to the testimony. He says, you've done this. I say, He's done that. The accusation just seeks to define me by what I've done, or accusation seeks to define me by who's done what to me, but my testimony defines me by what he's done for me. I overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I keep testifying, this is who I am. I have been released. I have been delivered. And not only that, by his blood, he has purchased for his God a kingdom of priests and kings who will reign with him forever. That's what the blood says. That's why I overcome. Verse 12, for this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Why? Because the dragon's been thrown out of heaven. Woohoo! Woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has come down to you. Not good news, but truth. You shouldn't understand what's going on. Thrown out of heaven, but put up your dukes. Come on, say it again, put up your dukes. Come on, friends, you got to put up your dukes. Don't settle. Don't live this mundane, pretending evil doesn't exist and people are actually your enemy kind of silly life. Understand what's going on out there. 
He says, the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. The fuse is lit. He, that, that, that knockdown started a countdown. Oh, somebody shout. Right? That knockdown, it started a countdown. And he's fierce and he's mad, but you've already overcome. You got the blood of Jesus. You got your testimony. So put up your dukes. That's why it continues. Verse 13, John now is describing for his audience, as if they didn't already know, John's telling his audience now what's happening in their life. Look at verse 13. Here it is, okay? But when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male. That was the early church, right, with the people of God. But listen, verse 14, then two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the what? Wilderness to her place where she could be what? Nourish for a time and a time and a time and a half time. That's the same. Same time. Three and a half years, 42 months, times and a half, 1260. Same time. Verse 14, verse 6, same. Same. Not two different times. Not let's go back to the wilderness. No, same. Same woman, church, same place, wilderness, same time period, same thing happening. God's protection and God's nourishment. But what we see is as soon as he's cast down, there's this onslaught, this idea that, uh, did I read it yet? Oh, heavens, that's verse 15. And the, and, and the serpent poured out a river out of his mouth after a woman to try to destroy her. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman, opened its mouth, drank up the river. My heavens. Okay, here's the deal. She's given wings. You say, what, what happened? What's this eagle's wings business? Where does the woman, how does the woman grow wings? No, 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 no. Symbolism. Exodus 19.4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The idea of wings has to do with God carrying the church. Carrying the church. So she's carried away. The dragon's mad. And it says that this, this flood comes out of his mouth. That's hard to pin down for specifics, but it sounds like an initial early attack River and the flood have to do with people or a, or a massive flood of persecution. But the, that, that very flood collapses upon itself. If I understand history right, you and I could talk about the fact that how Rome collapsed. Now, again, that's not the only time period, but there you have an example of this flood that doesn't work. This flood of this, this immediate attempt to destroy that fails. But here's the deal. Here's the rest of the the Paul Harvey. Verse 17. Here's today. So the dragon was enraged. He got knocked down. He's on a countdown, but he's enraged. Someone say again, put up your dukes. He was enraged with the woman. He can't do anything about the he can't do anything about Jesus. (laughs) So he turns on the woman, the church, the people of God. Listen, and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. There's a, that is a, there's a footnote there to help us know what he means. John himself says, that's me. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 2, John says, I am your fellow. I'm on the Isle of Patmos. I'm exiled because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John is saying, that's us. That's you and me. 
We are the people who are committed to the commandments of God, who follow the testimony of Jesus, and the dragon is seriously enraged with us right now. But don't worry, he's been knocked down, and he's on a countdown, and in the meantime, you have the blood of Jesus and your testimony about him, and that's who you are, and that's your protection. Furthermore, the very wings of God Almighty have caught you up, and he has taken you to a place where you will be nourished, where you will be protected. There will be warfare, there will be struggle, there will be things going on. but you cannot lose that's the message to the church at this point is listen to this you cannot lose you cannot lose to the church under martyrdom who's tempted to give in to temptation who's tempted to give in to persecution who's tempted to give in he's letting them know you're not giving in to human beings you're not giving in to temptation you're not giving in to political pressure you're surrendering to a defeated dragon So your choice is either to keep your testimony, even if it kills you, or give in to that dragon. That's been the message to the church. That's A or B. We don't have another option. It's either keep your testimony or surrender to a defeated devil. That's the choices before us. That's why we take sin seriously. That's why we take obedience to the word of God seriously. Because our choice is either I keep my testimony to Jesus Christ or I partner and surrender to a defeated devil. That's the ring that we're in. Put up your dukes. All right. I've kept you too long. Let's stand. Eternity is real. The devil is real. The devil is defeated. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is coming, and we should live like it. Everybody bow your heads quickly across this room and we'll pray. Before, we, before I send you home, I need to talk to you just for a minute. If you've come here today and you're one of those that has struggled, struggled with voices, struggled with feelings, struggled with wondering what's going on and, and uh, between accusation and temptation, these things keep coming at you, and you've maybe blamed people, blamed circumstances, blamed things in your life, blamed your job, blamed the government, blamed Obama, blamed Trump, blamed anybody that you can blame that must be the problem. The problem is not those things. The problem is a defeated and angry dragon. Understanding your adversary should give you hope and confidence because your adversary has been defeated. And God has provided protection and deliverance for you by the blood of Jesus. In other words, friend, you can be free. You can be victorious. You can overcome. You can overcome. You can overcome. Take this stuff seriously. Hey, that means, you know what this also means? That means you and I, we cannot, we are, we are not playing games. This is real. Church is not a game. Following Jesus is not a hobby. It's real. It's real. We take this with, a, with gravity, with gladness, and with the hope of great victory. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I, I pray over your church. I've kept them long today. They've been patient. But Lord, I pray that the truth of your word, the truth of the text, the power of the scripture would ch- touch our hearts and change our lives. Lord, that you, that your church would rise up understanding the, the struggle that she's involved in, but understanding the protection that she has and the
promises that she has that she will overcome. The blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and we will not surrender to a defeated dragon. Bless your church in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise. Can we do that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday, July 22nd. Enjoy the hot. It's about to get hotter.